Welcome back to the podcast for staying ahead in business. From company growth strategies to personal growth stories, here you'll get insights from the best minds in modern marketing. For more information on our guests, our in-house model, or to subscribe, head to our website, oliver.agency. Enjoy the growth podcast. Today, we are joined by two wonderful women. Firstly, Melissa Grady-Diaz, the Chief Marketing Officer of American Car Royalty Cadillac. A true innovator, Melissa has worked across industries and geographies to bring big brands like MetLife and Motorola a seriously results-driven approach to their marketing. Her unique ability to combine data with creativity saw her famously flip the marketing funnel when she joined Cadillac in 2018, forcing the brand, well, maybe not forcing, asking the brand to find and get closer to its exact customer. She has also made a strong commitment to increase diversity at the company and has recently broke records for the highest number of hits to Cadillac.com with the launch of their new electric car, the Lyric, at this year's Super Bowl. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Also joining us is the wonderful Christy Vandenbosch, who is president of Oliver in uh, the United States, a marketing nerd by her own admission, not mine. Christy's experience includes both agency and client-side roles, where she has led brands through major digital transformations, helping reimagine their products and go-to-market strategies. In addition to leadership roles in large global agency networks, she's responsible for designing and building the Digital Centre of Excellence at Revlon, and also finds time to teach marketing programmes to university students and be the co-president of a board of directors at Think LA and mentor tech startups. I'm very surprised that you had time for us at all, Christy. I would not miss this conversation for the world. <laughs> so like diving straight in, you know, and I think a good place to start and always interesting is the kind of lessons learned um, pre and post COVID. You know, so why don't we start with how did Cadillac, an icon American brand, you know, adapt to get closer to its customers and go direct during the COVID crisis? There were a couple things that that we did, I think, um, just really pivoting as consumers did and trying to do that as quickly as consumers were pivoting. The first thing that we did is we really moved to a digital shopping experience, which for a lot of industries is something that was already a really common thing. For automotive, that just wasn't the case. Luckily, being a brand that likes to push the envelope and do more innovative things, we had some things that were already set up so we could quickly pivot to this. One of them that was one of my favorites during the pandemic is we had something called Cadillac Live. Cadillac Live is something that we started actually pre-pandemic. It was an innovation that came out of our Canada team. And we got really lucky because we had picked it up um, a few months before the pandemic started. Cadillac Live is basically a one-way Zoom personal auto show. You have product specialists who know everything about the vehicles. We have every Cadillac vehicle in the showroom and um, it's an interactive experience. It's really fun. They have a lot of fun with it. You know, for instance, if you want to know how much headroom is there really in the XT6, we have someone there who is very tall. Uh, he's, I think, six five, and he'll <laughs> jump in the back seat for you and show you exactly how much headroom there is. They have props there so they can show you your golf clubs, your stroller, groceries, how many things are going to fit in the back of each car you can compare. Um, and they're just really knowledgeable. So it really helps you get to the point where you have an interactive experience. You have your questions answered at that time. 
And then when you want to go to actually purchase the car, you can go to the dealer and you're already armed with all the information you need. Now, the other thing that we really did during the pandemic that helped is normally then you'd have to go to the dealership. Well, we have an e-commerce platform. It's called Shop Click Drive. And having that in place allowed customers to then say, okay, I really want this XT5 and I need these features. And they could go online, they could price it, they could get all the way to the point where they just need to sign the contract. And then the dealer, which is something, again, that we've always had, the dealer through their personal concierge services will deliver vehicles to customers. So something where you would maybe look around on a few shopping sites and then go into a dealership and do all of that stuff pre-pandemic, we were set up and we saw huge spikes as people shifted over there. So that was, I think, the digital process um, of customer shopping was probably the biggest change we had. The other thing that we did that was really interesting, and it's something that we've really held on to, we were already really leaning into addressable TV. Now, during the pandemic, what we did, you know, we can all remember, and depending where you live, it was very different. New York in March and April was a very different place than Florida or Texas, as the pandemic really kind of came in through New York and then went in waves over the country. So what we did is we started tracking consumer sentiment. And then if you remember, we actually stopped producing cars for a while, and we were producing ventilators and masks. So our car inventory was really low. And so we were looking at consumer sentiment and then inventory by region. And we started to implement an addressable plan. So where we had inventory, we could personalize what the offers were in that market and adjust to sentiment. So if it, if there was something that was more, it was in more of a crisis mode, then we had our, we have your back messaging, which was very much, if you need your car serviced, we'll come to your home. If you need help, call GM Financial and those types of messaging. If it was a market where it was more, no, we're still, you know, we have a lot of space, we're outdoor and we can keep going, then it was more of a traditional, you know, still in that same tone, but more of a, here's what's for sale right now. Here's where we have and a drive to, to dealer for purchase, including messaging on all the digital platforms. So I think those were the two things that for me were most interesting to see the acceleration over that, you know, especially first six month period. Well, it's funny. I was actually going to ask you a question about you know, I, I know your background and I know what an actually data-driven sort of mutual nerd we are both in the uh, area of marketing. And I, I kind of wondered, like, when your one of your primary channels now is television, like, how are you taking all those things that you had really developed so much skill and expertise in that related to data? And of course, you were ready for all this. I, it, it makes you guys look so prescient. And I, I am so impressed because I thought, like, how did they make this much change happen during COVID? And yet you were just ready for it. I think one of the things that was really amazing was to see... And I think this is not a Cadillac thing. This was just like a, a human thing. How much people in this crisis and in their own personal fears figured out how do we quickly shift the business and like be agile and flexible? And it, it was incredible to watch, I think, just even the, the growth of everyone on the team and how quickly they were pivoting and getting things done when two months before we had told you, well, that's impossible. We can't get a spot out in seven days. Well, I apparently can't. Watch me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you taking any like lessons forward from what you learned in this last year that will become a new way of doing business for Cadillac? Yeah, there's a lot of things that we're pulling forward. I think the speed of innovation is a big one and making sure that we're ready to meet customers wherever they are. 
And the regional approach that we took, although it's not as acute right now, we found that this really works because there are different cars in different areas, different offers in different areas. So it's really led us to a newer personalization strategy that's been working really well. And we're seeing great sales results with the dressable. You can measure your sales results. So yeah, amazing. So I think sort of moving on from that, you know, when we talk about your brand and your heritage, you know, when we talked before, you talked about where you've taken your brand positioning, both in your kind of core brand, but also as you move forward with your electric offering, you know, talk to us about how your brand is evolving. The thing that's very interesting about our brand, and I'm glad you used the word evolving, is that something that I've really learned as I've gotten into Cadillac is Cadillac has been for the almost 120 years it's been in business, an absolutely amazing, innovative brand. And I think we all know the iconic status that Cadillac has had over time. What's really amazing to me is that a lot of the technology innovations, all the way from when we started, we had the first electric starter, um, all the way to you know the first car with in-car telematics, the first car with hands-free driving. This is a brand of innovation. So th- the biggest I think two challenges or things that I'm trying to to bring to market are, number one, helping everyone understand the innovation that is Cadillac and what this brand really stands for. And then the other thing is, as I've dug in, what's really interesting to me is the DNA of Cadillac and the DNA of our customers. And when I started, we went in and we did a lot of data analysis to identify who our audience is. And that's how we go out, whether it's linear, addressable, digital, we use that audience to decide where we're going to be. As we started to dig in and understand who that audience is, my favorite fact that we learned as we did this analysis was that the title of president and CEO way over indexes versus both general population and other luxury brands. And that's because Cadillac is a bunch of change makers, entrepreneurs, like people who are going out and and really doing big things in the world. And understanding that um, really helps us not only, you know, so now we know who we're going to target, but now we know what it is that drives them. And that's really been a lot of what we're trying to bring out in the advertising. And so if you think about our Escalade campaign um, with um, Regina King, the, the theme of it, it's called Never Stop Arriving. And that is really when you look at a Cadillac person and who that person is, that person never stops arriving. When we look at Regina King, who really is so elegant and really the epitome of the brand, and she really does a beautiful job of telling her story through what our brand is. And I think, you know, when she talks about Never Stop Arriving, she says, I started as a TV actress. I moved into film. From there, I became an Oscar winning actress. And now I'm a director. And she's just continually reimagining herself, figuring out what am I going to be? What am I going to do? And I think even over the past year, when we've looked at a lot of important social justice and inequity issues, she's also had a strong, powerful voice in that. And and that's really, that's really what Cadillac is. I'm here, but I'm not stopping here. I'm going to keep arriving. I'm going to keep going. And, you know, when, when we look at our products and especially the Escalade, it was really a good match because the Escalade really set the standard for what a full-size luxury SUV would be in the late 90s and continued to set the standard, continued to be the um, segment leader. And now we have the new Escalade, which is absolutely amazing. It's Um, so gorgeous. So gorgeous. It never stops arriving. So Exactly. Yeah, I have a question related to this because 
you have unapologetically addressed women buyers in your advertising. And that used to be kind of a third rail thing, like, oh, the fear of making things into a chick car. And you do it, again, Regina was a brilliant, inspired sort of choice, but you do it with all of the advertising. And it's I've seen really good consumer response to it. Like I hear people feeling recognized, which is not something that's happened historically when you've targeted women for the automotive industry. Like, was it a hard sell, a hard decision to make? Uh, what are you guys sort of feeling about it? No, I, it really wasn't. I think, you know, one of the big things is that like in a very human way, we're driven by a lot of the same things. So by speaking to the insight, the human insight that we have, I think that the advertising still really resonates and it's not turning people off because it's not about a, a female character or something. It's about how a person is living their life. And I think that's really the authenticity of the messaging really helps us to not turn off anyone and is more inclusive overall because you have this feeling of like, oh, that's that's me. Like when I when I finish something, I'm looking at how am I going to make the world better? How am I going to do better? And that's, you know, that's not a, a male or a female thing. Yeah. Now, I know you and I both fangirl for Mary Barra pretty hard. And, and like looking at her and Deborah Wall as the CMO of General Motors more broadly, like, is there a difference in the company having women in these leadership positions? And does it differentiate you from competitors in any ways that you're going to market or thinking about product? Yeah, I think what I will say about both Mary and Deborah is they are very good at setting the tone that they want, but then very good at following through with it. And I have two examples that were surprising to me because this is not my first automotive job. So I had a I had an expectation coming in as to what the company would be like. And, you know, you hear Mary talk about safety and safety being something that's really important. And what was very interesting to me, and this was a very interesting learning for me, was when I started, we start every meeting with a safety message. And when I heard that, I thought, it feels almost uncomfortable to like, you know, like it feels almost a little, it, it just was uncomfortable for me. I'm like, I've never heard of that. And I felt like at any other company that I was at, you would have, if we were doing a safety thing, we would have started with a safety message for about two months. And then that would have like, you know, then half the meetings would whatever. Well, three years in, I can tell you every meeting starts with a safety message and we've made them really personal. So you know, from um, I now have a giant jug of water that sits next to me because we had some safety messages about like 85% of the people in this country are dehydrated. Um, and I learned about uh, like heat exhaustion, and everything. So you learn through these personal stories, some of them, you know, even, uh, you know, um, even more powerful, someone came and as a safety message told a story about his son who was killed by distracted driving, and why that's so important. And it's, I think it's, something that you really see of how do you really ingrain something in culture versus talking. And I think that's something that about Mary is so incredible is that she really follows through. I think the other, the other area that, you know, last summer, Mary came out and said she wants GM to be the most inclusive company in the world. And I was like, wow, that, that feels like very, like, thing, yeah. yeah, I love that. But how, how would you do, like, how would you do that? It just felt like, very, you know, it's it's a lot. And I will tell you that over the past year, 
the things that are ingrained in our culture and, and the conversations that we're having. I mean, like, you know, you hear diversity, equity, and inclusion and you, you know, DEI and what does that mean? And at GM, we now have a definition and, you know, I think we all know what diversity is, right? What is equity? Well, think about a dance. Equity is everybody gets an invitation to the dance. But what is inclusion? Inclusion is being at the dance and being asked to dance. You're not sitting out on the outside. You're not a wallflower. Like what a beautiful definition, something that everyone can hold on to. And we have constant meetings where we have reminders of, and like not even reminders, like lessons in what does this mean? How are we going to make it so that every person can bring their whole self to work? What does that look like? And it's really becoming ingrained in our culture. And I think that that's, you know, as when I look at so many of the reasons why I admire Mary, her ability to be able to bring these things into large organizations and actually institutionalize and operationalize them is is really incredible and something that just makes me really proud to be there. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Oliver has taken much of the same sort of a stand in terms of our own organization as it applies to DEI. And it's a challenging thing to operationalize, and especially at something at the scale of General Motors. And I think there's such an interesting observation about the authenticity with which she I mean, I remember when she joined and the sort of trick bag she was handed at the beginning, which was, you know, safety being near and dear to her heart. I totally understand why that that is what it is. But the fact that, again, she can implement that much human change in that enormous of an organization is just amazing. Can I um, sort of jump in there? I mean, particularly for the fact of the, the safety conversation, it probably helps us segue quite nicely into talking about your move into electric vehicles. Do you want to talk to us about that journey that you're now on? I, I love the quote about entering the, the decade as a petrol brand and leaving the decade as an electric brand, although that's not the right quote. And I know that you're going to tell me the proper one. But, um, but talk to us yes. about how, how the lyric came to be and, and, and the journey you're on to bring uh, electric vehicles to, um, to the American public through Cadillac. So the quote is, the, it's the end of the ice age. And what that means is ice in automotive is internal combustion engine. And Steve Carlisle, who is the president of GM North America, was talking last year and he had just been reflecting on things and said, you know, the last time we entered the 20s in the 1920s, there were more horses on the road than cars. And when we left the 20s, there were more cars on the road than horses. When we look at the 2020s right now, there are more internal combustion engine vehicles, ICE vehicles on the road. And as we move through this decade, there's going to be more EV um, vehicles on the road. And so it is the end of the ICE age. And at Cadillac, we are leading that for GM. It's a brilliant quote. As we're going into EV, I think this is one of the most exciting and meaningful things I've done in my career. Not only the point that Cadillac's at, which is a, a really exciting time to bring this brand into this, but working on these vehicles um, where, you know, if we look at the GM vision of zero, 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 zero emissions, um, congestion and crashes, EV and then moving into AV is really what's going to enable that. And so the Lyric is our first vehicle. The whole Cadillac portfolio will be moving into EV by the end of the decade, but the Lyric is, is the first one. And it's absolutely a beautiful vehicle. I think that's what's so amazing to me is the, the design, the light choreography, everything about that vehicle. 
married with some of the best technology that we've had on a vehicle with a huge LED screen. Um, we have Super Cruise hands-free driving. When you drive an EV and you have near instantaneous torque, it's just a, it's an incredible vehicle. So there's so much to this transformation, both at GM and with Cadillac. And I think one of the things that I, again, really respect about GM is moving into EV, we took a step back and we said, we're not taking an ICE vehicle and making it EV. What is the best EV architecture? What should that be? And we have a, a platform called Ultium. And Ultium um, allows us to, basically, it's a, a vehicle platform. You can stack the batteries. The batteries are these thin little things. You can stack them vertically or horizontally. Um, you can move them around so that if you have a low roof line vehicle, then that's fine. If you have a large vehicle like the Hummer, it's all on the same platform with the same almost like Lego architecture. And it's really going to allow us to, um, once we start very quickly, um, accelerate all the business into EV. And I think a, a really good way that's, you know, also just looking at sustainability and the future of the world. So it's really exciting. Is GM going to have a role in sort of building out infrastructure to support an EV future? We are. It's a huge thing that we're looking at. We're partnering with a lot of people right now. We are ensuring that by the time you're getting in your EV, you're going to be able, you know, like range anxiety being so huge. Well, number one, our vehicles are going to have enough range. The Lyric has over 300 miles. And number two, we're going to make sure that there's enough charging stations. And when you need home charging, we're going to facilitate that so that it's a very easy process. So there's a huge like task force. I guess it's not even the right word, just the huge organization really behind all of this, making sure that that's all settled. What role do you imagine marketing is going to play in changing a consumer behavior as profound as leaving the combustion engine behind? That's really interesting. And we're tackling right now, we're calling it EV education, but it's so much bigger. It's how do you understand the anxiety that people have and then address that? And, you know, it's about, I think, putting ourselves in the consumer's shoes. I will say I've driven several electric vehicles. I have not driven one on a road trip yet. So in a week, I'm going to take an electric vehicle and I'm going on a road trip and I'm going to have to figure out where, and you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm in meetings and we're talking about how do people plan their trips and we've got to make this easy and all of these things. It becomes very real when you're sitting in a car and trying to figure out how do I make sure I don't get stuck. So I think that really, really putting ourselves in into the shoes of someone driving an EV, understanding what that's like, and then figuring out at what points do we have what messaging, what lessons, what whatever. And I really want us to, to do this in a really immersive way so that people are engaged and having fun. And so that when they go into it, there is no such thing as range anxiety or insulation anxiety or any of these things. Yeah. It's always interesting to think about the evolution of the automotive marketing business in general in the way that having more control of the entire consumer experience is important for every kind of brand. And we've always had that kind of barrier of like, I don't always control the end-to-end -end experience. There are dealers involved, you know, there will be infrastructure involved. Like, how are you helping the company to think more holistically about the way it touches consumers? Sort of beyond advertising as a... Yeah, for sure. I, we are definitely looking at the entire customer journey and we're really looking at things 
along the way. So one of the things I think that is for us really um, a huge advantage that we have is our dealer network. And we're working with the dealers right now to make sure that they have the right equipment. We're redefining what our brand standards are and what their standards are with us to make sure that they have all the right information to answer customer questions, that they have the right infrastructure, that they are partnered with um, the right people to for home installation. So we've really looked at the entire customer journey, the whole ecosystem, identifying where there's pain points and addressing each of those things to really, I mean, I think everyone at GM is rallied around the fact that we're completely changing and everything can be questioned. Everything needs to be looked at. Um, and how do we make sure that this is a world-class experience and not something that, that people are fumbling through or uncomfortable with? So, you know, moving on, you know, to talk about you as a CMO, what do you think's changed in your journey as a CMO in terms of what you thought you might have as part of your role and now what your role encompasses more broadly? Because the role of the CMO has you know, infinitely expanded in recent history. What are the key kind of call outs for you and the key challenges you see in your role? Yeah, I think I'll flip that question, actually, because what's not interesting to me is so much my journey as a CMO. I think what's interesting to me is the fact that I'm a CMO at a very large company, because I come from data, technology, performance, measurement, all of those things, all the geeky parts of marketing that we were talking about, right? That's what I grew up in. That's my passion. I don't believe you can do any of that without good creative and insight. I use the example all the time because I think, you know, a lot of times people think that performance and brand are fighting. But if you don't have good creative to speak to all the performance marketers, like we run tests, right? And the control group is either a blank ad or it's an ad for, you know, a charity or something like that. What you're testing in that moment is how well is your creative working? So you've got to have the right creative. You've got to be speaking to someone. But to like where that brings me to how I'm answering this question is this, like that's my history. And, you know, I think brand's very important. But the fact that marketing has shifted so much, I always thought I would be the CMO of a, an e-commerce company or a smaller startup that was really more in this space of thinking. The fact that marketing overall and that that GM and, and Deborah were really looking at marketing is how do we make sure that we're measuring the right things, we have the right technology in place, and we're managing this overall experience well. I think that's what's more interesting and, and fascinating to me. And Christy, you know, in terms of how businesses like Oliver support CMOs in their roles, you know, what do you think are the two or three key demands that, that we have to meet as, as suppliers to CMOs? Yeah, I think one of the, you know, it, it's a privilege to get to sit next to the CMO in an organization. That closeness and that sort of intimacy with the day-to-day business problems really puts you in an incredibly advantageous position to provide advice and to really think about the you know, as Melissa pointed out, the the consumer journey and the consumer experience is so much more than marketing. And to be able to help problem solve from that level of intimacy with the business has really, I think, been, you know, the biggest surprise to me versus what I felt like I could contribute as an external agency supplier. Like there was a toolbox that you had that you were expected to sort of bring forward. And I think, you know, the way that Oliver tends to be so much closer to the CMO's actual challenges and problems, it gives us just a totally like free reign to help solve them in a very different you know, with a different set of tools. 
Perfect. Thank you, Christy. Now, you know, I'm going to have to draw this to a close. But before I do, Melissa, for our listeners, you know, what are your top tips or your advice on driving successful brand growth over the next few years? Yeah, I think the key things are the first thing is you have to know your customer, know your customer from a data perspective. So you know who you're targeting and know your customers from a human perspective so you know how to connect with them because that connection is going to be the key. Once you know that, you have to know where they're going to be and you have to be in those places. And I think the third part of that as we move through is the big thing with my team, we say you have to show up differently. You have to be contextually relevant. So I really believe that in the next three to five years with cookies going away, And with subscription fatigue, it's going to create a whole new ecosystem where consumers are going to understand the value of their own identity and data. And they're going to want to exchange that for content instead of paying 57 subscription fees a month. And so what we're going to need to do is to understand, okay, so if this is in a music environment, how am I going to show up? If this is in a a TV environment, Is that a regular 30-second spot or is that something else? What are the different ways to show up differently and be relevant? And there's times for the like, hey, it's $4.99 a month and this. That's when someone's shopping. So when they're there, be there. But when you have those opportunities to show up differently and to do things in a different way, I think like to bring that to life a little bit, an example that I really love is last year when we were launching the Escalade, James Blake, who's a Grammy-winning artist, was launching one of his new songs. And we partnered with him and this was when things were still really in lockdown. We had some of his like self-proclaimed like best fans go in an Escalade, what they thought was to hear him debut his song. And what we actually did was drive them to an airport, like an airplane hangar. And they had a socially distanced first listen of that song. It showed off the vehicle. We have, you know, we kept talking about when you talk about features, benefits, what does it mean? The Escalade has 36 AKG speakers. AKG is an industry leader in speakers. 36 sounds like a lot, but what does it really mean? So these people were in the vehicle listening to the song, playing with the sound system so you could hear it moving around. You understood what it was. And then he played this concert. It got picked up all over the place. People wanted to watch it. And now everyone knows what 36 speakers in the Escalade means. So I think it's a, sorry, I went really long on that three. (laughs) Understanding what the value exchange is and where you want to be and how you're going to grow your brand, I think is going to be the really, really important thing in the next couple of years. So thank you so much, uh, Melissa and Christy, for joining us on the Oliver podcast on the growth series. It's been an absolute pleasure, been delightful listening. And I'm sure when we publish this, our listeners will feel exactly the same way. Huge amounts of learnings to be garnered from this particular podcast. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oliver's growth series. We'd love to hear your opinions or pass on any questions to our guests please reach out to us via our LinkedIn page at Oliver. Alternatively, you can read more about our work or contact us via our website, oliver.agency. We hope you can join us next time.